0: The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities.
1: Well, welcome to another podcast. Uh, this is Ryan Rushton, and I'm- today here with Clay Christensen. Good to be Um, here again. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today, Clay. Um, Today, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, teams and functionality. Um, Now, I know we do have another podcast on the five dysfunctions of a team, uh, and you should check that out if you haven't listened to it. Um, But today's conversation is going to be a little bit different, right, Clay? Um, why don't you go ahead and just get us uh, started on what we're going to talk about? Yeah,
0: thanks, Ryan. I, it is, I, I'm a big fan of the five dysfunctions of a team, so I hope you do uh, check that out mm-hmm. if you get a chance. But a lot of what I want to talk about today, um, a lot of it comes from a, an author named Shane Snow. He, he, he wrote the book Dream Teams, if anyone's interested in taking a look at that. And, and the phrase that I really want to eventually focus on, and it'll take us a little bit of time to get there, but it's the phrase cognitive diversity and how important it is for teams to have this cognitive diversity in order to be effective as as teams. But again, we'll get there. I, I, I want to start with a scenario for you to ponder, okay? okay. It's okay. kind of okay. like a, I don't know if it's like a word problem or, <laughs> or what you'd call this. You know how you see have these riddles sometimes. Okay, so you're driving on a dark and stormy road. Okay. You have one other seat in your car, and there's no way around that. You come around a bend in the road, and you see a figure stuck out in the rain. You slow down, and you realize that this is someone who many years ago saved your life. Okay. So obviously you think, I, I should stop. As you slow down, you realize there's also a little old lady with a walker, and she has no way to be able to walk home and get... Out of this rain. She's completely trapped. So now you're stopping. And as you stop, you're surprised to find a third individual. And this happens to be the man or woman of your dreams, okay. someone you've always wanted to have some time alone with. And this is a once in a lifetime chance to be with this person. But you have one seat. Who do you pick up? <laughs> Well, <laughs> we're going to learn a lot about you yeah, psychologically I know, I know. with I, I your answer. Are. I think
1: we are. I, it's, gosh, I think it's going to be impossible for me to say anybody but the old lady. I okay, mean, why I've the
0: helped. old lady? I, like, I,
1: she's the, the most defenseless of them yeah. all, and I think, you know, everything being equal, I don't want anybody to not get home and die, and everyone else can and I, get and home. I, th- and
0: I think that's what a majority of the people say <laughs> when, when this question is asked. That mm-hmm. That's the most common answer, and some people stew over it, mm-hmm. and... I've heard some people say, well, I'll let them duke it out or so they don't have to make the tough decision. But they get stuck with that question or they ask, is there room in the trunk, which is why I have That's to specify. Okay. That's
1: a good, yeah. A so, good.
0: so they try and find a way around that one question. But really, though, if you think about it, shouldn't you give the keys to your friend who saved your life, ask him to take the old lady home, and then you can spend an evening in the rain with the person of your dreams?
1: <laughs> well, uh, uh, well, if you would have phrased the question like that, with Clay, then well,
0: of course. So that's why most people fail to come to that ideal conclusion. Because in essence, the wrong question was asked. The question was asked, who do you pick up? But most questions that we ask are wrong. They They operate on assumptions that we're not thinking clearly through, as opposed to if I had asked the question, what should we do in this case? I have a lot of assumptions in the question, who do I pick up? Listen to what Tim Brown, he's the the CEO of IDEO, once said about leadership and questions. And this is a quote that I've, I've shared before because I really like it. He says, as leaders, probably the most important role we can play is asking the right questions and focusing on the right problems. It is very easy to get sucked into being reactive to the problems and questions that are right in front of you. It doesn't matter how good the answer you come up with, if you're focusing on the wrong questions, you're not really providing the leadership you should.
1: That that, that, really, that makes a ton of sense, Clay. Um I think as a leader, I find myself constantly just trying to react to all the questions that are thrown at me, and I'm I'm not really spending enough time evaluating whether or not they're the right questions I should be tackling. I'm just responding to the questions. That's
0: super common.
1: Um, And so really what you're saying is as a leader, um, I should be spending my time focusing more on whether or not they're the right questions.
0: Yeah. I remember when I started running my first facility, I was very intimidated because I you know, I had an accounting background. I didn't have a clinical background. There was so much going on that I didn't understand. I I was stressed. And all these questions were being, were coming at me in rapid fire from very different uh, disciplines. And I felt like it was my job to have all the answers to those questions. And I didn't have all the answers. And it was stressing me. It was, I was a, I was a 25-year-old and I was already getting some gray hair. And it was, because I felt like the job of a leader was to have answers to those questions. It's why I always like what, what Jim Collins said, a level five leader does these three things very well. He says, first thing, you get the right people in the right seats on the bus and the right. wrong people off the bus, right? right? That That's the first job of a level five leader, get the right team. But the second thing they have to do is ask the right questions, not have all the answers, mm-hmm. Make sure you're focused on the right questions. And then the third thing is create a culture of debate.
1: I mean, that that really just makes a ton of sense. Um, in the scenario that you gave out, um, I, I was really just stewing over which person uh, I wanted right. to actually pick up. Because um, I brought
0: you to that with my question. Right. I brought you to the wrong train of thought.
1: Right. Your question just had so many assumptions in it already. And I, I fell yeah. right in line with that and fell right into, I guess, the, the trap instead of... Um, instead of thinking about what I should be doing I was thinking about who I should be picking up
0: yeah and that that's exactly right questions have assumptions that we tend to not question and we should we we become so reactive to the question and we approach our questions in a linear way, and, and we need to start approaching our thinking in a more lateral mm-hmm. way. Breakthrough ha- breakthroughs happen when we employ lateral thinking. We, You know, a lot of the terms that we're constantly using uh, in our affiliation, we, we talk about passion for learning, we talk about intelligent risk-taking, mm-hmm. we talk about the poem The Calf Path and how we need to get off the Calf Path, uh, essentially... We won't hit breakthroughs until we learn to, you know, in the first example, get out of the car or out of the box or whatever symbolism you want to use, mm-hmm. and start thinking about things differently. And I should also point out in my scenario that we needed our friend to solve the problem. So I'm guessing that's <laughs> this is where we're going to start tying this
1: back into into the team aspect of the
0: conversation. yeah. So so, but we probably won't talk about it, and we're going to start. In a way that that uh, maybe is something you haven't thought of before, and I want you to be patient and, okay. and kind of stay with me. So anything we plan on building needs the right team working in the right way. But now here's here's my big butt, okay. right? Your mind's gonna be blown with this. Right, I'm ready. Are you prepared? I'm sitting, ready. Down, I'm sitting down, seats buckled. I'm gonna make a statement that research has proven to not be true. Okay. So it's a statement that you've heard and research has proven it to not be true.
1: Okay. I'm ready.
0: Two heads are better than one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they can't see the look on my face right now. So. Right?
0: So so you ask yourself, is that true? And we think, well, of course it's true, except it's not.
1: So you're just, I want to be clear. So you're you're <laughs> telling me, Clay, that we shouldn't work in teams? Right. I'm, I'm worried we should stop the podcast right no, now and no, not
0: publish this. I'm not. We're going to send the wrong message out there. Okay. So bear with me. Okay. All right. Stay with me here. We know that as a species, we survive by banding together. Throughout the history of civilization, teams work. We we have survived this way by collaborating, but here's the thing. Studies show that when you're working in a group of people, your effort tends to diminish. Mm -hmm. I I think most people here listening know that to be true, but, but here are some ways they've actually shown that scientifically. For example, A person is put in a room and they're asked to shout as loudly as they possibly can. If they are alone, they do. But when they're in a group and everybody's shouting as loudly as they can or or asked to, they actually shout at about 74% capacity in a group. (laughs) Example two, they've proven that in a tug of war, when you're placed in a group, you don't pull as hard as if you were alone. In fact, the bigger the group, the less hard you pull. I mean, like
1: as you say, I, I can I can see that being true, but why why do you think it is?
0: So I think there's probably several reasons. I, I don't know that I'm the expert on this. We'd have to get a, a psychologist in, but but uh, I think that we might not even realize that we're relaxing more in the group, and and this mm-hmm. is what's interesting. Studies repeatedly show that when you put people together into brainstorming sessions. People come up with fewer and lower quality (laughs) ideas than they would come up with on their own. I know this sounds like a bad podcast so far. It
1: sounds really strange to me. (laughs) We need to just go in
0: our office and shut ourselves in our office. Right. So so if you give someone an hour on their own to think up some ideas, they'll come up with more better ideas than if you put them in a group. In fact, the bigger the group, just like the tug of war, the worse the problem. And this... This kills me because this flies in the face of, of you know, at annual meetings, right. I've started implementing think tanks right. and all of these things, and it almost seems to, to fly in the face of that, but... Uh Again, be patient with me. So so one psychologist said that, and this was interesting, he said, you'd have to be insane to use brainstorming sessions in your business. Quote, as sure as cigarettes cause cancer, brainstorming in groups does not work.
1: <laughs> that is a bold <laughs> statement. Sounds... Like, so so what, no more group work? We just banned all teams? I mean...
0: Yeah, I mean, no, I'm not saying that at all. Don't, don't misunderstand my yeah. I mean, I... We know some of the dysfunctionalities. We know about egos. We know about politicking. Uh, sometimes we even try to diminish each other's uh, uh, capabilities to make ourselves better uh, or look better in comparison. But mm-hmm. no, I am not saying no more group work. We know that every big thing we have ever accomplished came about because of group collaboration, not because of one person. I mean, Think about this. Mm-hmm. No one person knows how to get us to a moon right? True, I mean, some enough. of you conspiracy theorists <laughs> think that we've never been there anyway.
1: Those people aside. Uh,
0: but those people aside, those of you that believe we actually have gone to the moon, you can't go to one person and say, how do we get to the moon? Because they, they just they only know their piece. They only know their perspective of the mission. Right. It requires so much expertise in so many different areas and it requires being able to see the world differently. Heart surgery, same thing. Mm-hmm. It's not just going to be a, a lone person's mission. Right. Uh, so here's the paradox: understanding that we see that lost productivity—excuse me—lost productivity is something that has to be endured, and conflict, and all these other all these other diminishing factors of, of group work must be endured in order to come up with big things. In fact in the five dysfunctions and other places, we've talked about how important healthy conflict is.
1: And You know, but wait, I've been on teams where I've felt synergy, um, where I felt like I'm doing more than I could have done. Where you feel like
0: you're not being diminished.
1: Absolutely. Where I, where I know we're more than the sum of our parts, where we're, we're one plus one equals five, not two. Um, And that seems very real to me. Right.
0: So there is a value in teams Mm -hmm. and, and, you know most of the people listening here know there's a value in teams they 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 know they know that that it can enhance their ability and not diminish them despite all these studies that, that I just mentioned hmm. so so here's the question we have to ask ourselves if teams naturally break us down yet teams are essential for us to reach breakthroughs mm-hmm. how do we create those teams that create breakthroughs rather than breakdowns right mm-hmm. what is the difference mm-hmm. And, and here's, uh, so Shane Snow gives this other dilemma, and I'll, I'll just share this one quickly. Again, the author of Dream Teams. He says, he says okay, you have a round cake. Okay. You get to make three cuts, three cuts into that cake. You picturing this? Round Pictureing. cake. You get to make three cuts, but you have eight friends, okay. and you have to give each friend an equal slice of the cake. How do you give each of your friends eight equal slices of cake making just three cuts? Clayton, you promised me there would be no (laughs) mathematics in this
1: podcast whatsoever. I cannot do geometry questions on the fly.
0: Okay. So, and a lot of you guys are thinking about this. You're like, okay, if I cut it three times, that's six pieces and I've got to keep it equal slices. But think about it. If you turn the cake on its side and make one slice and two on the top, then you have eight equal slices. Hmm you have to change your perspective of the cake. If you're looking at it from the perspective of everybody else, it is mathematically, as geometrically impossible in three slices to get eight equal Mm -hmm. slices of the cake, right? right? But if you put it on its side, change your perspective. It's really just kind of a simple example to make the point that breakthroughs happen when someone with a different perspective joins your group. Looking at things through multiple perspectives is really the key, and that's what cognitive diversity is. Two heads are better than one, yes, but only if those two heads see things differently. That makes sense. But this is often when we have conflict, right? Seeing mm-hmm. things differently. I, I I sometimes worry that that as EDs and DONS or in our interdisciplinary teams or whatever team we're on, that we think that we're functional because there's so much harmony and we get along and there's no fighting and we see the world from the same perspective. But in reality, often the most functional and effective relationships have a lot of healthy conflict. And that healthy conflict comes when you have people on a team that see the world differently.
1: And that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it just makes me think about my experiences here and the different folks in the Ensign affiliation of leaders that we have that that really come from a lot of different backgrounds outside of our industry. Um, they aren't just from health care. They're, they're from
0: all, all higher all education and accounting and and their own businesses and and some a lot of them Nothing to do with healthcare. No,
1: and, and I think of the the some of the personal um, partnerships and and teams that I've built with with different folks that have a, a very cognitively diverse background for myself and, and just how effective those partnerships have been. Yeah,
0: I I you know Shane Snow gives another example, and I, I know I keep uh, referring to his examples, but he talks about a hospital that was trying to figure out how to better handle patient logistics, transferring patients around, and and how to get uh, over some issues that they were having and. And they tried to look at the best practices of other hospitals to solve their problem. But all of those solutions came from the same perspective, and it Mm. didn't solve their problem. It's interesting, though, where they did discover the solution to their problem Mm -hmm. was by analyzing a race car's pit crew. (laughs) You can actually, you know, Google this and go on. I think it's a Ferrari pit crew, and you can see it in slow motion. But they, they analyzed how a pit crew worked during a car race, and they learned some principles that helped them solve their problem because it came from an outside perspective. It came from turning that cake on its side.
1: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. It really makes sense to me why our affiliation spends so much time on, on, on training and finding leaders from outside of our industry to counterbalance those that come from within
0: yeah i mean you and i both came from yeah. without the industry did, right. right i, I came and, from and a different industry so we're very valuable <laughs> nobody's ever told us that but yeah. i'm sure we're I, very valuable at some point.
1: it definitely <laughs> seems like different perspectives are needed um, to bump against each other to really
0: yeah it's 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 healthy conflict we yeah. have to have this healthy conflict if we're going to revolutionize the industry we in fact, it's not just cognitive diversity. We almost need cognitive friction. You know, that's how you mm-hmm. create a spark, how you create a fire is is through friction. It is through stress. It's mm. We can't change the industry by falling in line with the industry and doing it how everybody else does it. And I I uh, I'll give you one more Shane Snow example, all right, and, and, Shane and you're Snow. probably not gonna. I don't. Do you like hip hop? I I like all forms of. You music. like all forms. Okay, so so it's interesting. He talks about how hip hop was developed, and I had never heard this before. So if you like it, you're gonna be interested in this. If you don't like it, you're gonna be Very mad right. at how it developed, right? <laughs> so so it came about because in the Bronx, DJs would throw a party. But, but multiple parties would start to happen, and, mm-hmm. and you'd have one party on one side of a club and another party on, on another side of the club. And whichever side the people gravitated towards, that side would win. And so what the DJs started doing is they started rhyming, they started dissing the other DJ, they would become – they would come more and more prepared to win over the crowds. They even started using computers, mm-hmm. uh, different – you know, faders and sounds and stuff. I know you, you deal a lot in sound, would understand this a lot better than I did. But innovation was born from the friction that was caused by other ways of thinking and seeing things. That's how hip hop came about. Yeah. So, any so, thoughts on that? <laughs> I think that was actually pretty
1: interesting, Clay. Yeah. You did a good job with that. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, um, so, so really, you know, rather than hiring more people like myself, um, it, it feels like I need to find more people who don't think like me. Um, and I, I know that we've been doing some of the behavioral assessments, um, and and I yeah. you know, by by doing some of those with some of my partners that I've had relationships with over the years, I've seen that some of my most truly most effective partnerships. Were with people that were cognitively the most diverse. Yeah,
0: I I worry that I've I hire too many people based on the question what I want to hang out with them. Right. <laughs> well, they agree with me. Do they see the world the way I see it? And I almost need the reverse of that. Yeah, or something. it seems like I need to be finding people that see the world differently yeah. than I do. And and uh, I I'll finish with this thought. I. I've done this in a couple of different trainings. I'll put a PowerPoint slide up and it has a picture of two men. And some people immediately know who the men are and and some people don't. But I talk about these two men. One of them was very cerebral. He was very pensive. But the other was the opposite. He was very loud and boisterous and impetuous. And I talk about how their assistant would say they, they would show up to work and start arguing with each other. They saw the world in a different light and they would debate each other. And then they'd go to lunch and they'd have a very cordial lunch. <laughs> they'd sort of set their business aside. Mm-hmm. Then after lunch, this is interesting, they'd switch sides of the argument and boisterously start arguing again. That's great, that's and, great. And, and it was it was an interesting tag. I mean, the assistant said it was one of the oddest things and that's how these men invented human flight. Wow. The Wright brothers. I did not know that's where you were going with that. If we're too married to our ideas and ego gets too much involved, then things fall apart, right? When we Mm -hmm. want our idea to win, whether or not it's the right idea or because we're so convinced that it's the right idea. We've got to be flexible in our viewpoints. And I get that I say that sometimes uh, uh, hypocritically. Uh, I definitely fight for my viewpoints. We've got to check our egos at the door and, and argue passionately in the pursuit of truth, not of our idea. And you have to listen. It's not about you being right. It's about you finding the truth wherever you can find it. And and I'll finish with this last Shane Snow quote. It says, innovation isn't about being the strongest or smartest or fastest. We must be flexible. Genius is less about the size of our mind and more about how open it is. That's a a great quote. It's been a really,
1: really uh, interesting uh, conversation today, Clayton. Thank you. Um, It it seems to me, at least, like cognitive diversity uh, really seems to be uh, a fundamental key in creating uh, great breakthroughs. Um, I think if we're going to dignify long-term care in the eyes of the world, um, we will definitely need to see the world through different perspectives.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Clay.